Well, good morning. We are continuing our Mission Possible series. And um, last week, Steve talked about being part of the Mission Possible team. He called it Team Jesus. And he kind of gave us an overview. Uh, today, I want to drill down in one specific area that we as team members of Mission Possible team can put into practice in our lives. And that is... Uh, the lifestyle of being a servant, having a servant lifestyle. Now, I have to tell you, when I think of someone who uh, exhibits a servant lifestyle, the first person who comes to my mind is my Aunt Phyllis. My Aunt Phyllis. My mom's sister is 85 years old, and she can outwork any of the rest of us in the family. It doesn't matter the task. We don't even try to get into that contest with her. Because we know that she is going to be the one who wins that contest. So, we have gone back the wrong direction there, and that's me. <laughs> You're supposed to be looking at a picture of my Aunt Phyllis right now. Yes, that's it. Oh, good. So, little technical time that's going to go on here. Eli, would you put me back to my first slide so I'll have the proper look back there. Uh, nope. We're going to get there. I will tell you in the meantime, um, there will be a picture that will come up here in just a second of Aunt Phyllis. And it was taken, there you go, um, the picture was taken uh, just a couple of months ago, back in May, at the memorial service for my great Aunt Eula, who had passed away. She lived in Melbourne. Aunt Phyllis flew down from Alabama to help out because Aunt Phyllis and my great Aunt Eula were tight. They were more like sisters than they were aunt and niece. Uh, there was about 12 years age difference between them and they kind of grew up together and just were thick as thieves throughout their lives. So when my Aunt Eula passed, Aunt Phyllis flew from Alabama, came down because there was work to be done and she was going to be in the middle of it and outworking everybody else. So when this picture was taken, she had a bunch of staples in the top of her head because a couple of nights earlier, she had fallen in a creek bed out behind Aunt Eula's house. Now, she was emptying out a pan of grease into the creek bed. That's what country folks do, you know. You got a pan of grease, you dump it in the creek bed, right? Well, but she slipped and fell into the creek bed and bonked her head on some rocks. And fortunately, the creek bed wasn't, didn't have a whole lot of water in it, but it did have some pretty good, decent rocks, uh, even harder than her hard head. But, you know, it worked out. She was fine. And she laid in the creek bed for 15 minutes because nobody missed her. Because the people that were over on this part of the property thought she was over there working. And the people that were over there thought she was over here working. And so they didn't miss her for about 15 minutes. And they finally found her and they got her out. And she got the staples in her head and, and went on. Now, I told you she had some grease uh, in, her, in the pan. Um, she was emptying out because she is a chef extraordinaire. Uh, to call her a cook would be a gross understatement of her abilities because I can promise you if Aunt Phyllis makes it or bakes it you want to eat it so it's no surprise that she was doing stuff that involved kitchen stuff because she loves to cook and she loves the Lord Jesus and it shows in her life 
It shows in her life. Now, my Aunt Phyllis has had more than her fair share of tragedies in her life. She has two children who have predeceased her. Two. Her brother and her sister, my uncle and my mom, predeceased her 30 years ago or more. Her mom and dad have gone on to be with the Lord. So there's plenty going on there, but if that wasn't enough, about a decade ago, my uncle gave her a divorce because he wanted to get his mail-order bride from the Philippines. And then my uncle and his mail-order bride from the Philippines had a child. And guess who has babysat that child on more than one occasion? My Aunt Phyllis. You heard me right. Aunt Phyllis has babysat the child of her ex-husband and his mail-order bride. Now, that's not only next-level servant lifestyle, that's next-level forgiveness that comes straight from Jesus. Aunt Phyllis sets the bar pretty high for the rest of us. There's no doubt about that. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to live a servant lifestyle. And the humility it takes to serve others is countercultural, isn't it? The humility it takes to serve others is countercultural. We live in a culture that's all about me, 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 me. Look at my accolades. Honor me. I went up on the pedestal. And the servant lifestyle is the exact opposite. So, how do we reconcile what the culture wants us to be versus what Jesus has called us? To be? How do we live a servant lifestyle? How can we go from a what's in it for me to a what can I do for others kind of lifestyle? Because I know that some of you have been sitting here already this morning and thinking, Scott's Aunt Phyllis is crazy. And she would not deny the fact that she's crazy, but I would submit to you that she's crazy for our Lord Jesus. She's willing to sacrifice while serving in his name. And each of us must ask ourselves today, am I willing to sacrifice while serving others? Because Jesus calls us all to follow his example in serving others. We've got a couple of different scripture passages we're going to look at today. first one is going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, uh, that would be great. If not, I'm going to put the words up here on the screen as well. But Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, that's where we're going to begin in God's Word today. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne... We want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or 
my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So so Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, John and James, and frankly the other ten disciples, were behaving a whole lot more like 21st century Americans than they were first century followers of Jesus, weren't they? The what's-in-it-for-me attitude was prevailing here. Everyone wanted the seat of honor. And Jesus' response to them is to warn them of the bitter cup of suffering that they will each face. Jesus straight up tells them of the suffering that they're going to endure for his sake. He is discipling them regarding the sacrifice they will be required to make while serving others. And he then reminds them of his mission, not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, even after this teaching, many of the disciples still didn't get it. It just it wasn't sinking in. They had a head that was harder than Aunt Phil's, apparently. You remember this scene from John chapter 13, uh, beginning in the first verse, we're going to see Jesus gathered for what we now call the Last Supper, all right? So John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, before the Passover celebration, John knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet in order to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. 
do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now imagine this. The Holy Son of God, the Messiah, humbles himself and washes the feet of his students, even the one that he knew would betray him. Now, in that day and culture, the household servant that was at the bottom of the food chain, that's the guy that would be assigned to wash people's feet as they came into a house. And if there were no household servants, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But I understand that washing feet was something that was pretty important in this culture because most people were barefoot. I mean, a few people, if they had a little extra money, they had sandals. And they traveled the same unpaved streets that the donkeys and the camels and the sheep traveled. I think you can see where this is leading. So it was important to have people wash their feet when you came into the house. And if you didn't have a household servant, then what you would do as the host would be to set a basin and a jar of water by the door. And when people came in from outside with those nasty feet, they could wash their own feet and then go and recline at the table. But remember this picture. The disciples are reclining at the table, waiting to have the Passover meal with their Lord and Master. And nobody has washed feet. Not their own, much less offered to wash anybody else's. So Jesus assumes the role of the lowliest household servant. He takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, pours the water into the basin, and starts washing the feet of his disciples, including the one who would betray him. Probably doing this about the same time that some of them were sitting there at the table arguing about who was going to get the seat of honor at dinner. But how shocking this had to have been to Jesus' followers. In fact, we see in Peter's reaction the shock. They don't know how to process what's happening right now because they still don't quite get it. And to be sure, today we are saying that a mark of being a follower of Christ is serving others. Yes, it is countercultural. Yes, it requires sacrifice, maybe even suffering. But make no mistake about it, service without sacrifice is self-serving. Service without sacrifice is self-serving. Do you remember the story of King David coming to the threshing floor of Aruna? God had sent a plague upon Israel because of David's sin. He had taken a census, and that was a no-no. And so God gave David some choices. How, what kind of punishment do you want? And so David chose to put himself in the hands of God. And a plague had gone throughout the land and thousands of people had died. And the Lord relented at the threshing floor of Aruna. And so David is like, I got to build an altar and I got to sacrifice to God right here. I need to worship God because he has relented and, you know, my punishment for my sin and the people, it's, it's taken care of now. I got to do that. 
Well, Aruna gets word of that, and he comes and says, Oh, my king, please take this threshing floor. You can have it. I will give it to you. In fact, I'll even provide the materials to build the altar, and I'll supply the animals for the sacrifice. And David's reply is classic. He says, No, I insist on buying it for full price. I will not take what is yours and present it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. Because you see, David understood that service without sacrifice is self-serving. And David's desire was to serve the Lord. Now to be sure, today, our sacrificial service honors God and points others to Jesus. That is the purpose of serving. That is our mission. And we got to remember that serving others like Jesus means that we are compassionately motivated, not contractually obligated. It's not about obligation. It's about identity. And serving sacrificially is who we are. That, my friends, is the mission, should you choose to accept it. As part of the Mission Possible team, you must be willing to surrender your life and your will to Jesus, to follow his example, to serve others in a way that leads them to Jesus or grows them in Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should take a bowl of water around with you and look for people's feet to wash, but it may look that crazy as we serve Jesus in this culture. I mean, it may look as crazy as babysitting the child of your ex-husband and their mail-order bride. His mission, should you choose to accept it, is to sacrificially serve others, winning them to Christ in the process. Now, a servant lifestyle impacts everyone around you. In his book, They Smell Like Sheep, Volume 1, Dr. Lynn Anderson writes this. Ray demonstrated servant leadership at its finest one Wednesday evening at an all-church dinner. Hundreds were lined up, eager to get their piping hot gourmet plates when a little preschooler unceremoniously upchucked his whole tummy full right onto the carpet beside the tables. The poor kid was terribly embarrassed, and the onlookers sort of froze in their positions. But Ray one of the respected ministers of the congregation made two magnificent servant gestures. First, he put his arm around that little child and he wiped the boy's white face with a napkin. Then Ray slipped out of his suit coat, knelt down and began cleaning up the pool of vomit. As if on cue, the frozen figures helpfully swung into action some kind of damage control in one form or another. You see, it is possible to swallow your pride, to humble yourself, and to serve like Jesus. And there are ample opportunities to do that, both in the church and in our community. It may not involve cleaning up a pool of vomit, but it might. One thing is for sure. It will require sacrifice on your part. You must serve in a manner that draws other people to Christ. The Mission Possible team does nothing for its own glory. We do it all for the glory of Jesus. 
Yes, the why do we serve question is easily answered and simply answered. Doug Lucas, in his book, More Disciples, writes this. We serve because he, meaning God, has already made us into new creations and all our old things have passed away. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And Lucas goes on to write, May God be praised. The folks at Southland Christian Church put it this way, Your baptism into Christ is your ordination into ministry. Man, I like that. I can't agree with that even more. Our mission is to serve and to share the gospel wherever we are. Your baptism into Christ is your ordination into ministry. Through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life, it is possible to swallow your pride, to humble yourselves, and to serve like Jesus because God has made you into a new creation. You are designed to serve so that others will be drawn to Christ. And if you are not leading others to Christ and growing them in Christ, are you really on mission for Jesus? Of course not. A servant lifestyle, your choice should you choose to accept it. Seek opportunities to serve sacrificially. Our community is filled with people who are lost and dying and are without hope because they are without Jesus. Seek opportunities to serve sacrificially because these people live in our neighborhoods. They coach our kids in sports or lead them in the arts. Or they work in retail establishments or restaurants or even nonprofit organizations. And we can draw beside them volunteering with them, befriending them, and helping them come to know Jesus. When you value the lives of others more than you value your own life, you have something in common with Ethan Hunt, and frankly, with Jesus. Inside the church, there are ample opportunities to serve as well. And if you're not sure about you know, where you might be able to help out, go to our website, and, and check out bureauchristian.com forward slash serve dash others. bureauchristian.com serve dash others. And you can find a listing of, of opportunities to help serve. So the question for you today is, what are you doing for the kingdom right now? Not what have you done in the past, but what are you doing? Steve mentioned several areas of service inside the church in his message last week. Things like rocking babies in the nursery or teaching children or greeting people at the door or being one of our prayer warriors who prays during the services. There are critical needs in many areas. In many areas. And your sacrificial service has an impact on all of those around you. Now we all have a choice and I pray we choose to accept his mission in so doing, we choose to decide to plug into a service opportunity in our community or in the church if we haven't already done so. Together, our Mission Possible team will make an eternal difference in the lives of people in our community. We must be willing to live a servant's lifestyle, realizing, first of all, that the humility in serving others is countercultural. 
A mark of a Christ follower is serving others, and service without sacrifice is self-serving. May we be known as a people who don't try to get something from others, but rather as a people who try to give something to others. May we be willing to serve in the name of our Lord Jesus, leading others to him in the process, because Mission Possible team, that is our mission. Let's choose to accept it.